It's all good. Okay, are we ready for the words? Yeah. Yeah, let's get into the word of God this morning. In the time that we have left, ah, where did the time go? Too much talking. All right, 20 minutes. How many of you believe I can preach in 20 minutes? Yeah. How many of you believe Anita can preach in 20 minutes? <laughs> Faith like a mustard seed, I guess. So that's really good. All right, I'm going to speed through this today. We're finishing off uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 3. And uh, that's uh, still uh, talking about God's forgiveness and uh, talking about in search of righteousness. And honestly, as I was preparing the last part of Romans chapter 3 to share with you, it just resonated in my spirit that this is where we're at. This is where the world is at. We, We are wanting to see this move of God. We're hungry for it. We're ready for it. But it begins and ends with our repentance. Sometimes when you've been a Christian a long time, we get that spirit of familiarity. And we think, oh yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, I understand that. But I think a revelation of what Christ has done for us and the repentance in our heart and new, fresh look with clean, fresh eyes at what we need to do for repentance is where the next move of God is going to be birthed. It's going to begin in the church and then it's going to go out into the community. But God has to deal with us first. And you might think, oh, but I'm all good. You know, I'm a Christian. I live here. I'm not denying that and I'm not debating that. But what I'm saying is sometimes we can just get a little relaxed about the fact that we actually are sinners. And we say it loosely, like, oh, yeah, I sin. I do the wrong thing. But, but really, I really need to repent. I really need to understand and have a fresh revelation about repentance. And so we're going to go straight into reading from uh, where we left off. Actually, Romans chapter 3, verses um, 10 to 18. Here we go. So let's go. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So there you go. We can just stop there and finish. But we won't. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. Paul has well and truly established there is no one righteous without Christ. Not one. All have sinned. And without him, we are nothing but with him. Man, with him. We can access everything with Jesus. So we're going to continue today. Verse 19 and verse 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for the law is the knowledge of sin. That's important. The law is the knowledge of sin. We're in a court. All rise. Justice Yahweh is taking the bench. See, Paul uses uh, and sets the stage for a courtroom scene. That's what he's doing. Where people stand before God and God is judge. And when the law is presented detailing the right way to live, the people immediately realise that they've not done what they should have. 
They're silent because they have no words. They have absolutely nothing to say in their defence because it's clear as day, here's the law, I've broken it. Paul makes sure his listeners understand that the law is not going to make anyone righteous. See, the Jews and the, the religious leaders of the day, they felt that by maintaining the law, that that was making them closer to God, more favour from God. God loves me more because I'm a good Jew and I follow the law. Well, the law's intended purpose is not to save you. Far from it. It's actually to show our need for salvation. Because none of us can achieve the law. Not one. Not one at all. I'll argue with anyone who thinks that they can. 100%, every single moment of your life, you cannot fulfil the law. But the law can lead us to faith. This is how law and faith work with instead of opposing each other. So you get on the arguments online with the keyboard warriors, and I don't do that, but I read them and I just think, oh. you know, law is not relevant. It's only grace. Or, or, or grace isn't relevant because that's cheap grace and you've got to follow the law. And, and there's this dispute between law and grace. But why does it have to be either or and can it not be both? I think the problem is, is that people lack an understanding and wisdom about what the role of each one plays. So today we're learning that law points us to faith. So do we get rid of the law? No. It's there. It was God's standard for a season, and then Jesus came and fulfilled the law on our behalf. And that's the only way that we can, and that's grace. That's where grace comes in. That's the only way we can meet the standard is because of what Jesus did on our behalf. That's why salvation comes through Jesus. When you say yes to him, all of a sudden we now fulfill all the requirements of us because that's what God is calling us to do, to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. So we might wonder why the Jews had such a hard time abandoning their trust in the law. Well, to understand why, it's going to help looking at Acts 17. I'm not going to turn there on the screen, but I'll tell you, it's about Paul's visit to Athens and, and it was a city of pagans at the time. And the apostle preached that it was obvious the, uh, the Athenians, the people in Athens, were very religious because of all the idols around town. There were idols everywhere. And he told them, uh, but he told them it was also obvious that they'd not heard about the one true God because they had all these idols and all these trusts in different gods and idols. The, the one true God, the God of the universe, they'd yet to hear about. And, and when they heard this, and it's interesting because this is the kind of reaction we get in the world today, but when they heard this, in verse 32, it says, Some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So some mocked, and some were open. Is that not like the world we're in today? Maybe there's a bit more of a balance towards people mocking. <laughs> more mocked, more mocking. But you know what? Since COVID, and, and they say this, after a pandemic, you've got about a three to five year window. I think Pastor Corey said this when he, we listened to his message. You've got about a three to five year window where people are more open to the gospel than ever. Because we've just gone through this hectic period of time and people want answers. People want, well, what's the purpose of life? How can I, etc. They're asking questions. So, if it was difficult for people to give up their trust in petty idols like the Athenians, imagine how much more difficult it would have been for the Jews to give up their trust in a holy law that they knew came from God, and it did, and on the fulfilment of which rested all their hopes for both present and eternal peace. It's all they've ever known. 
So it's easy for us to point the finger at Jews and go, oh, they're just a bunch of whatever. But put yourself in their shoes. The law of God is all you've ever known. It's all you've ever known. And so when someone comes in and says, well, no, that's not the way to please God and be saved, that would rattle their cage. Big time. It's not easy. Now, I'm not making excuses for them. But I think sometimes we've just got to be, we're quick to go, well, they should be like this. But we've got to understand the context. You know, God gave the Ten Commandments both to reveal his righteousness, but also to confront sin. If we took the time, and we're not going to do it today because I have 12 minutes. <laughs> if we took the time, I've got this, I can do this. If we took the time to read the words and teachings of the Ten Commandments and see, what, what you would see is it would, it would make you conscious of sin. Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's a list of things that we're not to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And so it makes us aware of our sin. So the Lord didn't create sin because it existed before God gave the Ten Commandments. But the law reveals sin. And that's important. Because without the revealing of sin, there's no need for us to observe repentance, that we're doing anything wrong. And so the law has a, a role to play, and it's important to understand the context. Amen? Cool. You're not falling asleep. It's good. Verses 21 to 24. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. A lot of us know this verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now it's revealing to us the role of grace and why Jesus came. But I love how Paul starts this. Notice he started with but now. It's like the but is or but when or but now. I love them in the Bible. Maybe you're asking, well, but now what, Paul? You've just demonstrated with reason and proof with scripture that we're all a bunch of guilty sinners who deserve only God's wrath. What on earth could you say that would give us hope? But now. Indeed, there is hope. There is hope. Paul announces the good news that a righteousness we could never obtain through the law is now being made available through Jesus Christ. And it will give us the righteousness we need to be saved from all of our sins. There is hope. This is good news. Before we were hopeless, but now there is hope. Jesus did just that. He brought this righteousness. And, and this righteousness is available to anyone who puts his or her trust in Jesus. But not in the law. It's not trusting in the law. The law points out the sin. Jesus forgives the sin. Law and grace. The grace of God comes freely and nothing in us deserves that grace. We don't deserve it because we've broken the rules. But God comes. When Paul says there's no difference, he means that when it comes to the fact of sin, both Jews and Gentiles are guilty. All have sinned. When it comes to who falls short of the glory of God, all of us have fallen short. Regardless of who's committed the greater or the lesser sin. If you walked into a prison, you would see a bunch of people all with different convictions and different levels of of uh, penalty, you know, you're here for six months, a year, ten years, life. But you know what you won't find? 
hopefully, if the jury, judge, jury and lot are doing the right job. You don't find an innocent person in there. They're all guilty. It's not about how long for or what's been committed or what's done. There's no like, well, this sin is less than this sin. No, we've all sinned, no matter how good, bad or ugly the sin is. So we all deserve the punishment. So that's important to understand. We uh, Free grace, get your free grace here. Imagine someone yelling that out. Come to Jesus. Come and get your free grace. People like a freebie, don't they? Who, keeps, who used to keep their dockets at the shopping centres? And you, I don't know, do they still do that? And you get little freebies on the back and little discounts and things. We love a freebie. Well, grace is free. Jesus paid the price for you and for me. All it requires of us is to make a conscious choice of who we want to believe in and who we want to follow and what kind of life we want to lead. All right, verses 25 to 26. Let's keep going. When God set forth as a... Here's one of those fun Christianese words that some people don't really know what it means or even how to say it, but it's propitiation. Say it with me. Propitiation. Well done. Congratulations. You're all scholars. When God set forth as a propitiation... Now I can't say it. Propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Propitiation means paid in full. Paid in full. God had a score to settle. His justice had not yet been satisfied. He either had to condemn us for our sin or make the costliest sacrifice ever because our God is a judge. And so he can't change his nature. He can't go, oh, well, we'll give, we'll give human mankind a, a pass today. It's all good. No, God has to be God. And so he had to either punish us to damnation forever or do something. And so because he loved us, and the Bible talks about that, how much he loves us, despite what we do and who we are, where we've come from, he loves us. God made the sacrifice of Jesus Christ which did not merely cover our sins, doesn't just cover them and, well, let's put the blanket over them and the lumps there. It doesn't cover our sins, but it satisfied all the requirements of justice, which means it's paid in full, which means it's dealt with and gone. That's got to sink into someone's spirit today. Jesus doesn't just cover, because we use that phrase a lot, covered by the blood, covered by his, covered, covered. It's not just covered. It's gone. It's dealt with. It's paid for. And no one's coming for that bill ever again. It is dealt with. This kind of sacrifice is known as propitiation. Paid in full. And this was necessary not only for our own sins, past, present, and future, but necessary for all sin from the beginning of history. All sin got dealt with at the cross what was, what is, and what was to come. And when Paul says, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, he's pointing out that up to the death of Christ, God had let the sins of humankind go unpunished. Which would have been contrary to his nature. This is why something had to happen. This is why God had a plan. He knew that he would send his one and only son. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's in the beginning of time, he's at the end of time. Time is not a thing for God. So he knows the plan. And so he knew that there would be a point in time when Jesus would be coming 
being the propitiation. Say it ten times really quick. You'll spit on your neighbor. There'll be like a puddle of... Anyway. (laughs) God punished everybody's sins on the crucifixion cross. He did not show favoritism to anyone. He didn't just do it for this people group or, you know, the people that are holy or, or the people following the law. He did it for all. He let Christ serve as a propitiation so that people who had faith in him could be justly forgiven. You know, we ought to reflect on the costliness of God's sacrifice. And that's what I'm talking about today. It's so easy to gloss over because, you know, we've heard it, we know it. But I just want fresh revelation today that Jesus died for you. He took the penalty for you. The price of the sin that you're going to commit later this afternoon, he's already paid for it. Aren't you glad? I'm just believing for a fresh revelation in our hearts of what Jesus has done. Go back to that first time when you realize this and have that same almost gut-wrenching feeling of, oh my gosh, Jesus did this for me. You know, redemption is a costly matter. It costs the Son of God his life. The old covenant prefigured in its sacrificial system of worship and and redemption and and the need for blood redemption and animal sacrifice and all of this. But Jesus was called the Lamb of God because he was God's ultimate sacrifice. And he was made sin for us. He who was sinless took on the sin of the world. And this was God's predetermined plan for grace for the entire human race. Wow. Let's read the last scripture for today. Romans 27 to 31. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not only the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. The whole thing that I'm talking about today, it's not either or, but it's both, and we need to understand what role they play. On the contrary, we establish the law. Without the law, there's no conviction of sin. Without standards of living, there's no, well, we can do whatever we want. God is the only one with braggers rods. (laughs) He's the only one that can boast. We can't boast. Nothing happens in our life because of us. And if we think that, man, we need a dose of humility. Nothing happens without God ordaining it and allowing it to happen. Because he's in control of our lives. He is in control. Paul's mainly talking to I guess the Jews here because he's addressing the law thing, but it's really for all of us. You know, we know from verses in Romans 2.17 and 2.23 that the Jews had a tendency to boast about how well they fulfilled the law, about how good, and the focus is on them, and how look how great I pray, and look, look at the right words that I use, and I dress the right way when I go to the synagogue, to church, and, and I do it, and me, 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 and it's all about me. <laughs> He says that because righteousness comes through faith, not from ourselves. Boasting, therefore, is eliminated. 
Everything that happens in our lives has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with me. The Jews believed that salvation came from observation of the law. So when Paul said it came through faith, well, Jews might have very well have asked, well, okay, but, but what good is the law then? Preacher, you know, challenging. But Paul anticipated this question, and he answered it far from nullifying the law, because that's not what he was setting out to do. Christians upheld the law because they were put in their rightful place and understanding of the role that law plays. Law was intended to shut people's boastful mouths before God and to demonstrate the utter necessity of faith. The law was not a way of salvation as had been previously perceived by Judaism. But the law is there to humble us because we can't satisfy the law. So we can't boast. We might be able to boast about this law and this law, but there'll be this one over here that we broke. And it brings humility. The law is designed to reveal sin. And when sin is revealed, we need saving. We need a saviour. His name is Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. I'm going to show a video in just a second. I want to encourage you. Embrace Jesus again. I'm not doubting your salvation. I'm not saying you're not saved. But I'm saying if we want to see a move of God like we've never seen before in Stanthorpe, in the south region, southwest region, our state, our nation, our world, it begins with us being humble enough to go, you know what? I've sinned. And I'm sorry, God, that I keep doing that thing. And I, I just need to repent and say sorry. Let's have a look. sin and death he's made a way for grace to come into the world and release us from the stranglehold of sin in our lives many in this room you've been living free as Christians for a long time praise God some of you maybe not so long maybe even some of you haven't made that commitment to Jesus yet talking to people online too but I want to encourage you that we, something's coming. God is going to move in power. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of it. Yes. But to be part of it, we need God to break us again. 
break our hearts for what breaks his. You know what breaks his heart is sin. People that turn away from him. People that that are light on sin. People who who disregard it because there's that spirit of familiarity. Oh, I'm good. I said yes to Jesus on an altar call 20 years ago, so I'm I'm living for him. It's all good. And you know what? You probably are. Please, you've got to hear my heart today. I'm not pointing fingers and saying you're not safe. What I'm saying is, is that we need a fresh revelation of what Christ has done. Because how are we going to reach a broken world if God hasn't broken us first? So I want to encourage you today. Would you stand? Let's all stand together. I want to encourage you. You know, it can happen in a moment right now, but it's something that I want you to uh, dwell on in your quiet time this week or as you spend time with God across the week, however you do that. Maybe do a fresh study on salvation. Maybe, maybe just ask God to break your heart again. Maybe, I don't know, whatever it is for you, but I don't want this to just be a, a fleeting moment and then we just go and have coffee and, and then we go on with our weeks. But I want to see God move powerfully in all of our lives, transform us from the inside out afresh again. We need a fresh wind. We sat it today. How can we see a fresh wind when we keep doing the same thing we've done for 5, 10, 20 years? We need to encounter Jesus in a fresh new way. Open up our hearts. Lose the spirit of religion that can come upon us without us even realizing because we're just going through the motions. That's just what I do. And that's how I do my devotion time. And that's how I pray. And that's, can I just encourage you, allow yourself to be shaken a little bit this week. And really press in. Get your family together and just encounter God in a fresh way. So, if you close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're in the room and you need Jesus today and you haven't surrendered your life to Him, would you just lift up your hand? Because we want to include you in our prayers this morning. We're all going to pray in just a moment. Because, as I said, we all need a fresh revelation of Him. But if you're in the room or if you're at home, I want you to respond. God's looking for response. It's not looking for the magical prayer. We're going to pray. There's nothing special about the prayer. It's the response of your heart today to all that Jesus has done and all who he is. If you need Jesus today, lift up your hand. So that's me, Pastor Jeremy. I want you to pray for me today. Wonderful. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Give me a fresh hunger for you. Move in my life. Move in power. Arrest my life. Make me uncomfortable. Help me to be hungry for you. I thank you that you came and died for me. And I am truly sorry. Because my sin put you on that cross. Please forgive me. I repent of my ways. I want to turn in another direction. And I want to serve you all the days of my life. So I make you my Lord. I make you my Saviour. And I'm going to live for you all the days of my life in Jesus name Amen Amen Give God praise